Warning. The Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a special show for you today. We're talking to Kylie Ames, our 2022 Not Real Art Grant winner. She's part of our 2022 alumni class. We are just so grateful to call her one of our grantees. And today we're going to hear from her. So stay tuned for that in just a moment. Before we get into it, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like, share, and comment this episode. And of course, go to notrealart.com, our website, and check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. We're always posting really new, interesting artists and art. And we've got some great content. We're doing monthly exhibitions now called First Fridays, as well as our 2024 grant application will open in June. So be looking for that so that you can go and apply. Today, people, we have one of our grant winners from 2022, the one and only Kylie Ames. Kylie's just such a gift. I'm so grateful that she's part of our family now, one of our alumni. Kylie's one of these fascinating people because she's embraced her artistic side a bit later in life, I think, really coming up through athletics. She was a professional swimmer competing and swimming for UCLA, you know, just an incredible athlete who discovered, oh, wait, I've got other muscles, you know, too. I'm an artist as well. And so she started painting and sculpting and drawing and making prints and photography. She's worked and studied all over the world. And uh, fun fact, she was even a production assistant off and on for Annie Leibovitz, a little photographer you might have heard of. So our grand winners are fascinating, interesting, multi-talented, multidisciplinary people. And Kylie is a perfect example of that. I had the privilege and honor of being able to go visit her in her studio. She's based here in LA. So it was easy for me to go and spend time with her, which I was so grateful I did because her work is so incredibly beautiful and detailed, but it's, it's hard to capture in a photograph online. You really have to go into the studio and see the level of detail and technical ability that she puts into her paintings it just comes to life when you're there in front of it. So we talk a little bit about that and you're just going to love this conversation. Kylie Ames is just one of those awesome humans. We're just so grateful to call part of our Not Real Art family. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation and hear from our 2022 grant winner, Kylie Ames. Kylie Ames, welcome to Not Real Art. Thank you. It's great Woo-hoo. to be here. Look at us. <laughs> I love this. See, we're in your studio, surrounded by your magic. I'm charmed. I'm delighted. I'm honored. Thank you. I'm excited you're here after talking with you on the phone so long. And yeah, thank you. It's been a bit, this one's different because, well, for starters, right, congratulations on winning our 2022 Not Real Art Grant for Artists. Thank you. One so of much. six amazing artists and humans that we can now call part of our Not Real Art family. Up until, so we started the grant in, I guess, 2019, and we did it, you know, four consecutive years, and we've learned a lot. We decided to go ahead and make it biannual. So that sort of stretched out. You know, usually it's much more focused of like, okay, Kylie won. We're going to get to the studio. We're going to record the podcast. We're going to do this. We're going to, but then suddenly it was like time was more elastic all of a sudden. So I've been a little bit delinquent, I guess, or, or lazy in terms of getting over here. So I apologize. No, not at all. It's worth but the it's wait. worth the wait. The juice was worth the squeeze, as they say. So how are you today? How are you feeling? We're in your studio. How long have you been in the studio? I moved to this studio in 2019 because I had just left New York and I knew the first thing I wanted to do was find a studio over finding an apartment. Yep. And you can always sleep in the studio. Absolutely. (laughs) And I had friends. I knew I could stay here. I'd lived in LA a number of years prior to New York. 
I had really missed the community of being in an artist building. In Brooklyn, everybody was getting evicted. And going back to a studio building was something that was a really big priority for me, just to develop a community and the support system. And this was one of the buildings that I had gone to look at. And it was fantastic. They brought out artists to meet me. It was just a really welcoming experience. And so I took this studio and I actually ended up one of the artists. I lived with her and her husband for five months because I got along with her so well and I needed a place to stay. Right on. It's a great building. Yeah. And so we're in the Beacon Arts Building in Inglewood, California. And it's a fairly new building, right? I mean, how long have they had artist studios here? I'm not sure. They have another building as well, kind of close by, actually. So I think it's been in for a number of years. Right. But And they used to have exhibits, and that stopped happening. But yeah, they're really supportive of artists, and they want to keep it a building of artists, which is refreshing compared to what happened in New York. Right, right. Well, in the New York thing, it was a gentrification issue. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean... Artists would come in, it would be not expensive, they would turn it into just a really exciting creative place and then it just became too costly. Beware of the new Starbucks cafe that opens up. The second it goes up, everybody's out. You're fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's done. So, right. So you come back to LA, you find the space here and you're now part of this community here. It's great that you're with artists, but it's also when everyone's working in their studios, it's still a little isolating, right? I mean, do you know your neighbors? I do know, (laughs) it is very isolating. I do know my neighbors and I've met some people in the building, definitely not as many as I would have liked to as of now, but the artists that I've met here are fantastic and supportive and we do studio visits. And I also think in some respects, it's good to not be interacting with every single person in your studio building. Yeah, yeah. Just for the fact that then it can get almost too comfortable and it's hard to get outside that comfort zone. And for me, I need to get outside my comfort zone and go to gallery openings and meet new artists and try and find artists outside of my environment. Right, right. Yeah, I totally get that. And it, it is a community culture business that requires a certain amount of networking, a certain amount of being out there, being social, seeing what's happening. Yeah, and it is not. I suck at networking. Never been good at it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Kylie Ames. Who yeah, are you? <laughs> it just, oh God, painful. <laughs> I love going to openings and I'm very yes. social in that sense. Yes. But I think as the second there is an intention to meeting somebody, it just feels awkward to right, me. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, and it's all about context too. I mean, part of, you know, when you're out and about like that, people are, they're on edge or they're putting on airs or whatever the case is. And uh, it's hard to let your guard down and just be normal and natural sometimes. Yeah, I mean, the best relationships I've developed in the arts are when I meet people and I have no clue who they are. Right. You know, people right. introduce themselves with their first name. Oh, yeah, at least one or twice. Woo-hoo. You're gonna hear. You're gonna hey, man, hear a we're, siren. We're city. It is without fail in Inglewood. We're in Ang- we're in L.A. Inglewood, yeah, baby. Exactly. Yeah, it's happening. It's all if happening. It's just once. It's gonna be epic. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I meet people and just their first name and no idea who they are, that for me, that's the best way. Right. And some of those relationships have developed much more organically. Yeah, no, I have to confess. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I actually don't mind networking, but... Oh, you can do that for me anytime. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. But you no, know, but it's, it's interesting because sometimes I make a conscious choice not to do it because I feel like, you know what? I'll call them later. They're working. They're in a zone. They don't give a shit who I am. That's fine. I'll email them. I'll cold call them later. You That's know. great. Yeah, yeah. I, it's something I really need to get much better at. It is probably one of the biggest things I need to get better at. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. One of the things you don't need to get better at is painting. Although I know you're working hard to paint better and better every day. But it is such an honor to be here in your studio, immersed in your work. Man, oh, man. I mean, I obviously, we loved your work and love your talent and your ability. You won our grant after all. But to see it up close and personal, I mean, it's just a totally different experience. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's part of the reason, I know you and I have talked about it, it's part of the reason why I love for people to see my work in person and come to my studio Mm -hmm. because 
The way I paint, it is incredibly difficult to see it online, regardless how great the photos of it are. Right. This is a very tactile experience, mm-hmm. and I want people to get up close to it and to see it far away and to look at it from the side because every angle you see something different, right. which you can't get in a photograph. Right, right. Well, and I want to hear more about how you found your voice as a painter because you didn't start painting really, you know, leaning into your artistic voice, if you will, until your 20s, I understand, which is fantastic. I mean, you you had other passions, other pursuits, other dimensions to your life and your identity. And then, you know, so you started to embrace the arts and painting later, a little bit later in life. And yet your aesthetic is so singular. I mean, what was that journey? How did you, where did you start? Did you start with finger painting and you ended up here? <laughs> what was that journey? I think my first drawing was a pair of tennis shoes. <laughs> Loved it. They're still, still in my life They're still, with Nike. <laughs> it, it, I don't even know what kind of tennis shoes they were. My mom used to get me the most bizarre shoes and clothing, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. Made me unique. Thanks, yeah. mom. Yes. And dad. Yeah. When I started, the first art class was a figurative art class and it was with oil and it was painting and I was not good at it, but I just loved it. I wanted to go back and do it again. I've always been very interested and obsessed with human behavior. I was a history major and I studied war of all things. And that really teaches you a lot about people and their humanity and lack thereof. And that is something that applies to my work today and how I create my work and my technique. So I knew I wanted to continue being a figurative artist, mostly for that reason. And, you know, I think for me, because I started off later and I didn't have a huge amount of artistic knowledge and who artists were and who contemporary artists are, that I started trying to do more photorealistic art because I thought that's what defined good art. Sure. And it's beautiful, Mm -hmm. but I also realized that it was not, it wasn't really representative of who I am. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it took me a really long time to break out of that because you kind of get rewarded for creating something that looks like something else because there is such the skill that goes along with it. Right. And when I was graduating from grad school, which was, you know, a while later, I was doing really well. I was selling work. I was getting commissions and I really wasn't that happy. Interesting. Yeah. It's hard to be rewarded for something and and know that you're giving that up just in the hopes that that might happen later. Right. And I had a really great instructor who knew me and my personality. When I graduated, he knew I wasn't that happy. And he's like, you need to do the opposite of what you're doing. So I put down my paintbrushes. By the way, shout out to great teachers. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, John Jacobs Meyer. You killed it at that school. He was great. And he knew how to approach me with a sense of humor, uh-huh. which for me, it's Works. the best way. Right, yeah, right, right, absolutely. Right. And so I, yeah, I stopped painting on smooth surfaces, either wood panels or paper and went to the roughest surface I could find, which was burlap. And started painting with a palette knife. I was also very fortunate because I got a residency in China for four months. Oh, wow. And nobody was looking at you. It was just, here you go, here, paint for four months. And yes, you have to exhibit your work after, but you didn't have the critique. And that's where I started painting this way. And I took all of my love for history and how I view history and both, you know, in the world context and in individual And that relates to how I apply the paint with a palette knife. And the burlap is also, or the rough Indian linen that I paint on now as well, is also really representative of who I am. And it all just kind of came together and has developed over the years. Well, that begs the question, Kylie Ames, who are you? (laughs) Wow. I've been trying to figure that out. (laughs) I'm going to put you on the spot. Probably so is my therapist. We're going to just define it right now. Oh my gosh. Which part of my personality? (laughs) How many personalities do we have, Kylie Ames? Oh, fuck. I think there's a lot. (laughs) I think there's a lot of different personalities. (laughs) I think the main ones are... I absolutely love humor. It gets me through life, whether it's, you know, and of course I'm very serious and my work is very emotional and it's very psychological because that is a part of who I am. It's something I've struggled with. 
And that, yeah, it's representative of my work. But I also, you know, I'm obsessed with color and how color can make something that might be more serious or sad all of a sudden have life. And you can do that with color. And I like that contradiction where you can have something that's serious and have something that brings it in, that brings that light in. And I think that's the most representative of my personality is that duality. Yeah. Well, the duality. Yeah. The, yeah. A multifaceted it's interesting. personality. Yes. I should say. Yes. Yes. Well, the word that comes to mind. I mean, just in knowing you a little bit, I guess the word that comes to mind, and I mean this in the best way. Like, there's an intensity to your intellect. I think that's really interesting because, Thank you. and I and I love the fact that you led with the humor part because. Yeah. I mean, clearly I'm a laugher too. Like I would, I would much rather laugh than cry any day, but you're clearly there's an intensity to your painting and to your work, but also knowing a little bit about your history. I mean, you were a professional swimmer at a high level, obviously. And I mean, there's huge intensity there. So, and then, and then you went on to get your master's in university and there's an intensity there. So do you get it from your mom or your dad, this intensity? Interestingly enough, I would say neither. It is very self-directed and it's how I have always been. And my parents, I mean, you know, they were, when I was younger, they were so supportive of me with all the athletics that I did and the intensity that I put into that and the drive. And it's something that they have always encouraged and still encourage. Mm -hmm. They would love it if I would take a step back sometimes from my intensity. <laughs> sure. But I couldn't ask for a more supportive family with yeah, that. Right. But it's very, very self-directed. Whether Interesting. it can be a good thing or a bad thing, right. I think it can be both. Right, 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 right. It's fascinating, right? Because we are who we are both because of and in spite of our parents, right? <laughs> but I just love that about you because, I mean, you know, we were talking earlier, this idea that There are artists out there that are, of course, very stereotypically artists, but then you meet other artists. Artists are not a monolithic community, certainly, but but then you meet those artists who surprise you in some interesting way, either, oh, wait, I have my MBA. Wait, you have your MBA? But in your case, you were this elite athlete swimming and competing at a professional level. Yeah, and it gave me a certain perspective on... You know, you can do something hours and hours and be really passionate about it and work incredibly hard and put everything you can into it and you might not get the result that you want. And that's most athletes go into it thinking, wow, I really want to be that Olympic athlete and swimming. I don't think I did that as much because I didn't swim year round since I was a kid. I did, you know, summer fun club swimming. But I did other athletics and I did soccer and gymnastics and, you know, you always want to get to that really elite level. But I learned I could put as much heart into it as someone who won a gold medal in whatever sport and I wouldn't get there. And you have to do it because you love it and put in all those hours because you love it, despite the fact that you might not succeed the way you want. And I think art is the same way. And it can't be about the accolades and it can't be about the end success because I don't think there is an end success. It's the whole process of it. It's a journey. Yeah. Well, and the old saying about 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours, 30,000 hours. I mean, you know, you're only going to get there with that intensity, with the discipline that comes with acquiring, you know, you're not going to get 20,000 hours of practice of anything without that discipline. And do you think you were inherently disciplined going into swimming? I'm guessing swimming and athletics generally gave you a sense of discipline maybe that you didn't have. But talk about how the discipline that you gleaned from athletics has helped you in your arts practice. I think it was something where... At the same time, I was doing all the athletics. I am very, very much an academic. I'm obsessed with reading. And so I knew going into athletics, even at a really young age, where, you know, most people see it as really fun. Parents put their kids in athletics. It's a learning experience. It is a social experience and get kids familiar with one another. And it does give them a sense of discipline, just putting kids into athletics. And I was really good at that. But I was also the funny kid, but I was also like a very intense kid. That discipline, I knew if I wanted to do a sport, I had to have the discipline to do it if I wanted to also excel at academics. Yeah. Is you just had to go from one thing to another and then back to swimming. You know, for me, it was you swim in the morning, you go to school, and then you swim in the afternoon. Yep. 
And it wouldn't have been worth it for me if I wasn't disciplined in swimming right. because then it would have taken away from my academics yeah. or been a distraction. Right. And I didn't want that. And I also just really loved it. I like the challenge, you know, pushing yourself physically to the point that you think you're just going to get out and cry, <laughs> which I did. Or I wasn't allowed to get out, but you know, you can cry <laughs> when you, when, cry you can in the cry pool. No one you knows swim. you're crying. Yeah. No one sees you. It's all water. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. You have your goggles on. It's fine. But then, you know, you could push yourself to the point where you didn't think you could go anymore and somehow you managed to. Yeah. So you had that physical discipline, but you also had that mental discipline mm -hmm. because you would you could have a bad workout and you had to get back in eight hours later and do it again. And that was something I liked that challenge. And I didn't always succeed in it, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. it, it was which is fine. Right. I don't know any athlete that succeeds in yeah. In both of those things all at the same time. Right. And that's also something that carried over into the arts because you, it is actually a physical discipline yeah. as well as a mental discipline. Well, I think, uh, was it Chuck Close that said inspiration is for amateurs? I mean, you have to get up, yeah. you have to go to work every day, go, go, go. And eventually you find your voice and that's it. Yeah. And the thing with the arts is this applies to more than just visual arts. Mm -hmm. It could be writing, it could be music, it could be film, TV theater, you might not get paid for it for a while. Or if you do, it might be really not even that much to make a living. Right, right. So you have to have that discipline to keep going. Well, it's, somebody said it's a, being an artist, it's a compulsion, right? Like you, you have to do it. I like agree. you can't, I mean, it's a choice, but it's not a choice, right? Like you've got to do it. I agree. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's how I breathe. Like I have to go to the studio or even if I am too tired to go to the studio, I can sit at home with colored pencils and make lines or something, you know, just to be creative, maybe in the most simplistic way. Yeah. But that's just how my mind works. Right. Right. Speaking of drawing lines and circles, do you oh, yeah. have lots of sketchbooks that you're <laughs> banking your ideas? No, I'm one of those. I'm probably maybe a little bit of anomaly with that. I sucked at doing sketchbooks okay. and keeping sketchbooks. And I always thought maybe now it would be different because I'm so much more appreciative of the process mm -hmm. and sketchbooks are really meant for that kind of process. Mm -hmm. And when I first started painting, you know, and I was trying to get that really representational style, I think I focused just as much on the product as the process. And a sketchbook is really about the process. If you get something that's great, Amazing. Yeah. But it's where you can mess up and right. take notes and all that. Now I'm much more focused on the process of it. And, you know, it would be interesting going back and seeing if I could do a sketchbook. But a lot of things with my paintings, I try and figure out as I'm painting. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. all the color choices, mm -hmm. those are things I work on and I try and figure out or how I'm feeling and how that comes up in color. And that can only be done as I'm sitting in front of my or standing in front of my canvases. Right, right. Tell us about the body of work that you're working on right now. So I just finished up recently the body of work that we're looking at right now. Mm -hmm. And that was really work that I did over the pandemic. I started one piece before it, and then it just finished it during. And it just turned into a whole body of work. And it really is just representative of what my emotional state was, what my physical state was, the relationships that really got stronger and ones where there was conflict and didn't get stronger uh, and how that is reflected in the pieces that I did. And it's incredibly personal. Not that people would guess that, you know, that's right. for me to know. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that body of work. Now I'm going into a very, very different body of work yep. that is much more about the community that I'm in, the friends that I have, and, you know, much more social and political issues. Mm -hmm. It's about, I started that, I, actually, I started it last year, and it just turned out to now be an incredibly prevalent issue. And it's about drag, which I never thought would be an issue. <laughs> that I know, would be right? part of a national <laughs> discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's good timing that I'm doing this new body of work. But... It's really just about the misconceptions and generalizations and lack of knowledge about why people might do drag, who does drag. So I'm doing paintings of both friends and people in that community that do drag for various different reasons. Maybe it's once a year they do it for a party. 
and other people that do it as a profession and other people do it as a day-to-day as part of their personality. So there's always two paintings of the same person, yep. one in drag, one out of drag. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And they're painted in two different styles. Mm-hmm. So the one oh. in drag is painted in what most people are familiar with yep. of my work mm-hmm. with the palette knife. And then the one out of drag is actually going back to painting with a paintbrush on paper. Oh, So they're both done in very separate ways to show those different kind of personalities and who people are. You know, people aren't just one thing. They're, I'm really glad that I'm doing this body of work now because I'm just fucking dumbfounded with what's going on and the focus that's being placed on it. That's a whole thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's I, I a could. whole other thing. I, I, it, it is, yeah. for me personally, I just, it's incomprehensible. I just don't yeah, I just understand don't why, why anybody gives a fuck. Yeah. I don't get it. For me, it's, it, I guess I'm trying to understand. I mean, I'm just curious. Like, why do you give a fuck? What is it about how somebody wants to express themselves and how a person feels about themselves and who they love or whatever it is? Like, why do you give a fuck? doesn't matter. No. And I do think, though, part of it is that it's, you know, the LGBTQ plus community, they've always been, I I feel like, such easy targets for people to go after and to criticize. And something like drag, it's easy to go after because it's, in my opinion, it's, it's such a ridiculous matter, but it's simple. And something, you know, that I mean, I don't know, like gun control, that's a lot more complex and people maybe don't want to deal with that because there isn't as straightforward an answer. Right. Yeah. So this issue of drag. It's uh, like yes or no. Right, right, right. Where people can take a side or not take a side. People can take a side that I find just ridiculous for, for people to start trying to ban it. I just don't. Anyway, yeah, that's a whole other topic. But I also think that, you know, when it's something with drag and people focus on that, Um, I want it to be seen in a different context and I think a way to do that. And it's actually how I approach a lot of my art is that I think you can have really serious issues that are put up on a canvas or for me on a canvas and they're less combative because you're not having an argument face to face and people can look at a painting and take it in. They can agree or disagree with it. You know, that I can't control, but they can see it in a different context and maybe the less combative way they can look at a photo of somebody performing, you know, in real person, real time and see it one way and then see a painting or see two paintings of the same person. They might see it differently. You know, they might see it more as like a human issue and maybe they're not as uncomfortable looking at it. And and that's what I want. I think you can have very, very quiet discussions with people. Yeah. And sometimes they're more effective that way. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And I mean, to the extent that your work can humanize and and, imp- and cause and drive or be a catalyst for empathy, that's what we need, right? To be able Absolutely. to just see each other, right? Yeah. And accept one another. Yeah. Like no one's hurting one another dressing in drag. I mean, right. it's just- We're all I just, humans I having a human experience. Care. Like why, yeah. you know, anyway. Well, so you and I connected because you won our grant- I'm so stoked that you're part of the Not Real Art family. And, you know, but artists apply for a lot of grants. I mean, what has your experience been like in this pursuit for grants as an artist? Have you won grants before? What other grants have you applied for? I've won a couple of grants, which I'm always... I'm always surprised at, not because I don't think my work is, I think my work's deserving of it. So I, I do think, yeah, my work is deserving of it. But I also know the amount of people that apply for grants. Very competitive, and, yeah. And, you know, everyone's always looking for, might be looking for something different. Right. I apply for grants and I've gotten a few of them, which have been absolutely fantastic and just are very validating. We all need validation, whether people like to admit that or not. I need it every day. Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd love to have it every day. You know, but it's also applying for grants. It can also be really frustrating because so few people get it, which of course I understand. But it's a lot of work to apply for these grants. They're time consuming. Yeah. Oh, they're huge. A lot of them are like, they're just so time consuming and they ask for different things. And, you know, it's also hard because as someone who is not an incredibly established artist, You know, you see artists who are incredibly established who are getting grants, more and more grants. And those are also people who are much more financially stable. Right. 
And in that sense, it can be very frustrating just going, fuck, I could have really used that. Right. Totally. Totally. Not that other really exceptional artists shouldn't be rewarded, but it is frustrating. Well, you want to believe it's an apples to apples kind of competition. Right. To the extent it is a competition. But yeah, no, we've heard a lot of interesting stories about artists and their experience around grants and it's a it's the wild west out there. It is. Ways, you know. It is. And a lot of them cost money to apply for, which I also understand yes, because yes, they yes. have to fund their grants. Right. So so I Right. Absolutely. I'm not saying right. they shouldn't cost money. That's a fascinating issue because it, that hits close to home because you were the part of the class the first year because, you know, you're in our fourth year. You know, I'm always, I, I like to test things. It's like, well, let's see how this works or whatever. You know, you learn, you adjust, you test, you prototype, you, you know, what a model and get data and adjust or whatever. It was free to enter for the first three years. Your year, I think we charged 25 or 30 bucks or some whatever it was to enter. Yeah, which is absolutely reasonable. Well, thank you. Yeah. We try to make it reasonable, but it was really fascinating the pushback we got. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I thought you would say that you had less people apply. No, well, we did have less people oh, okay. apply, but I think in part because we put on an admission fee and we got a ton of, I won't call it hate mail, but we got a lot of pushback about it. It was just fascinating to me because, you know, at the end of the day, All this was, was about, well, hey, I just kind of wanted to see how it would play out because it still didn't cover our costs. There's an argument to be made that it's like a psychological thing too, because you're investing, you're saying, I believe in myself. I believe in this. I understand. I believe in this organization. I understand they have costs like here. Yes. 30 bucks. That seems reasonable. I'll do that. Yeah. It was a fascinating thing to observe. I think that I do part-time teaching. And one of the things that I always tell students who ask about kind of how to navigate the art world and applying for exhibitions or applying for grants or residencies, I kind of just take the approach where I will do a ton of research and write down every single thing that looks interesting to me. And then I'll go through it again and see what my budget is and then really pick out the ones where I I really, really want this. And I think my work would be great there or something to that effect. Yep. And you narrow it down. And I, you know, I understand that everybody has costs they have to cover and I make my budget and I'm still fortunate to where I can apply for things. I understand some artists can't. And I think it's a really complicated issue and it gets brought up all the time. Yeah, no, it it is complicated. And, you know, we're sort of deciding what we want to do next year because before when it was free, free communicates, you know, that sense of accessibility and, you know, democratization or whatever. But then we had the range of skill set, the range of artists is all over the place. And so, you know, so I wanted to try to mitigate that a little bit. It was just a fascinating, you know, kind of thing. I can't even imagine. I think we're going to charge you 99 cents this time. What do you think? Great. We love this. (laughs) I think that's amazing. I'll reapply. The 99 cent grant. Well, you're a winner, my friend. You are disqualified. I know. uh, I'm I'm applying. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, all hell was breaking loose when not too long or not, well, right before we met. I mean, the pandemic, you've referenced the pandemic a couple of times in our conversations today. Obviously, the pandemic, you know, hit everyone very unevenly and certainly artists were no exception. Do you feel like sharing your story around the pandemic? Like how as an artist, how did that impact your creativity and your practice? It impacted it a lot. When I moved here, I was still finishing up a breast cancer awareness project And um, it was three years, and I was incredibly fortunate that my godmother had a friend who was on the board of directors at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. They just opened a new breast cancer wing, and it actually has one of the top art collections in the world. And the director curator ended up coming to my studio, loved my work, wanted to give me an exhibit, which is remarkable and that was all set up. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, that got canceled. Big blow. That was devastating, not just because it would have been about awareness for breast cancer and seen in a very, very different context. And I wanted that awareness to get out there. Totally. It would have been, it would have been wonderful for your career as well. Exactly. I mean, let's be frank. And, and that is the other reason yeah. is that it was 
something that would give me, people would see the work and they would see that it was, it was done in a very personal way and a very impactful way. And that just didn't happen. And so I lost that, you know, access to that kind of visibility. Yeah. So that was just, I did a Kickstarter for the book. It did exceptionally well. I'm incredibly proud of it. And at some point there will be an exhibit yep. and, and I'll do that yeah. on the timeline I thought. Right. And then, you know, the other thing was a live performance with other artists for Spotify mm-hmm. and that got canceled. Yeah. And those were two things that would given me a lot of visibility. Right. And they just didn't materialize. Yeah. And then trying to like restart. Yeah. And it was just of all the things, you know, that were devastating during the pandemic, my art career, obviously that is not, you know, on the top of what was devastating about the pandemic. It's very personal though. But it, yeah, it was very personal and it's something, you know, I want my work to be significant and I want it to be out there in the world. And well, yeah, that it, didn't happen it, at that point. It, it's interesting too, because I mean, you know, in, in normal times, right, you might've gone straight to the pool and swam it off. Were you yeah. even able to no. go swimming at that point? I mean, the pools were closed at that point. So then suddenly you can't even, you know, work it out, so to speak, yeah. right? No, the pools were closed and everybody on the swim team that I coach, it was just, no one then had that access to get in the pool and everybody had such a hard time and we tried to, you know, keep the team together and through online and funny videos and all that stuff. But right when the oceans opened back up, even with social distancing, we had a group that would go do ocean swims. And that was a way, you know, but that was also months down the road. And I don't really like ocean swimming, but I was just going, let's get out there every day. Let's just go. Because you could just swim and you just didn't have to. And you could see people six feet away, or you could see 30 people six feet away. And it was just, uh, we were so fortunate. You know, it was unprecedented, the pandemic, obviously, you know, but we were all traumatized on some level. And, and I don't even know that maybe some people, maybe they realize it now, but I don't think at the time, maybe we realized like, oh my God, we're being traumatized because it was so weird and unprecedented. But it's it's just been fascinating to me to talk to different artists and sort of understand what their experience was around it because it was, you know, very uneven. I mean, you know, some artists, I know they saw their sales go through the roof because people were suddenly in their house and tired of that blank wall or that old painting or whatever and they wanted new stuff and and uh, and then but yet then some artists were just shut down because they were depressed and couldn't create or couldn't practice and yeah yeah and i think for me you know one of the things with the pandemic is that i'm used you know we talked about this really briefly before you know being an artist for most people it's very isolating so i'm in my studio i'm working by myself i'm very disciplined in that way So during the pandemic, I was, I mean, thankfully I have this studio and I could come to my studio and I could work. And that did feel very normal to me. It was just the second I left, I was just like, oh, fuck, I can't see people. I can't interact with people in the same way and get that stress relief or get that human connection until, you know, I got my one or two people bubble things. Right, right. Well, thank God for Zoom and Netflix, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm on, <laughs> that's how, yeah. we, that's oh. how we all really survive. Yeah. So you are you have a funny bone. I'm guessing you watch some comedies. What are your favorite <laughs> yeah. comedy my movies? My favorite? Yeah. <laughs> Hands down at Seinfeld. I just, okay. I just can't, I don't even know how many times I have gone through that series multiple times. It's my go-to every right. single time. Yeah, it, it never fails. It never fails. Yeah. I love Arrested Development, Curb Your Enthusiasm, right. Right. Schitt's Creek. I'm trying to think of what else. Those are probably, I'm sure I'm missing Are you one. a Simpsons or a family guy person at all? I like South Park a lot. Okay, South Park. Right, yeah. right, right, right. You know, Simpsons, so I didn't have a TV for probably like 15 years. Good for you. No, now, see, now (laughs) I understand the overachieving part because, uh, you know, you're not wasting your time watching a dumb screen. I would have loved to. (laughs) I just didn't, in Brooklyn, you got to pick and choose what goes in your apartment. Yeah, right. And TV was not one of them. Right. Well, now we just stream things from YouTube or whatever. Yeah. It helps out a lot. But we're jumping around a little bit. But, you know, earlier you mentioned that when you were in New York, I guess you were working with a woman called Annie. I mean, talk about that. Yeah. (laughs) A woman called Annie. Yeah. I worked on and off for Annie Leibovitz for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. I actually, I had gotten an internship with her while I was living in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And my aunt has worked with her Mm -hmm. a number of times. Mm -hmm. And I just started doing photography. I took a photography course at Art Center. Right on. 
And I guess I did well enough to where my aunt showed her my work and thought it would be a good idea to have an internship for a couple months. So I went out to New York, thought it was absolutely fascinating and came back to LA. Yeah. And then when Annie would come out to LA, sometimes I would go on set and help out. And that was 2006 or 2007. And I just maintained a relationship with the studio. And when I moved out to New York for grad school in 2009, I was still in touch with them. And I started working just one day a week, and then it became two days a week, and then three days a week. And, you know, Annie was always really fantastic with the fact that I would be there and then I would leave. And then I would come back and then I would leave. And they weren't just like small amounts of time. You yeah. know, I would be gone for four months and come back and I would be gone for over a year and a half. And, and she I'd was come cool back. with that. She was great with it. She always welcomed me back. And I thought that was so amazing. It was an incredibly intense place to work. At the same time, it is the most hilarious group. Oh, that was my other favorite show, The Office. Thank you. Yes, yes. It was kind of like Wait, that. The off, the original, Both. or the okay. Both. All right. Both All right. versions right. of The Office. Okay, because they know, did a great job. Uh, the American. Oh, I thought version, the American. Oh, really? Brilliant. Yeah, did yeah. A great you can't job. beat Dwight. Yep. Yep. Come on. Yep. That you know, it was a super intense place to work, but it was hilarious, and the people there were incredible, and. Annie has a great sense of humor. She's very intense on set, you know, but that's all artists are are like that when they're doing But she work. can balance and that that's yeah, that's great. Yeah, and she we got along really well and I could have my sense of humor and be sarcastic and she was absolutely fine with that and made it she never expected me to ever do an Excel spreadsheet. Everybody else had to do one. And she was like, nope, Kylie's an artist. We'll just let that go. <laughs> don't give it to her. Still, still don't know how to do one. Yeah, you'll survive. I'll survive without an Excel sh- spreadsheet. It was an incredible experience, not just for the people, not just for Annie, but because I learned what I really loved and I learned what I didn't love when it came to photography and, and having that kind of career, both you know her individual photography as well as her business photography or advertising and all of that. And that was one thing I learned that that wouldn't be for me. And then I also learned, which I thought was so valuable, is that, you know, when you see someone like Annie or Irving Penn or Van Gogh or, you know, you could pick an artist, you only see the final piece. Yeah, right. Or the final photograph. And you don't see all the ones that weren't chosen. And I think that for me, seeing and going through the archives seeing the ones that she didn't choose or that she didn't feel were good. That was incredibly valuable to me because I learned it wasn't just about that one shot that we see. Kill your babies. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know? Having that discipline, right? Absolutely. To be able to say, nope, 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 not good enough, yeah. not what I want. Yeah. yeah, let me reshoot it. Yeah. We don't see a lot of Van Gogh's drawings and paintings because he didn't think they were good enough and they're exceptional, right. like when you do see them. Right. And yeah, it just made me realize it was so much more about the process and not every great artist gets it right the first time. And that was invaluable to me. Yeah. Well, that's the 10,000 hour, 20,000 hour part, right? Yeah. And she's obsessive about her work and very, very disciplined. And that was something I could relate to. Right. Right, right. Very cool. And she's funny. I mean, you know, what sense of humor is key, man. I mean, you know, like, I'm sorry, I just can't, I'm not down with people who can't laugh at themselves and laugh at the world because, you know, some some things are too important to take seriously. Yes. You know, like, you got to fucking laugh it off. There's an old poem that I love. He didn't really consider himself a poet. He considered himself a rhymer, but this rather famous, commercially successful, quote unquote, poet called Robert Service wrote this poem called The Call of the Wild because he lived in Alaska sort of during the gold rush. And so he was transfixed by all the characters, idiosyncratic sort of characters that he would meet, you know, seeking their fortunes there in the Alaskan bush. And so he wrote just tons of poems and stories about these guys. And so there's this one poem called The Wild. There's a line in there that says, Though uh, grim as hell the worst is, can you round it off with curses? Then hearken to the wild that's calling you. And, you know, you got to fucking laugh it off, yeah. man. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, have to. And, and that's the best way to, obviously, there's a time and a place for being serious and, you know, grieving and, and all of that. But I also, I need that humor. 
Yeah. I, I just, I have to. What, you got a joke yeah. for me? What's oh, your favorite God, joke? No. I don't have a favorite joke. Oh, I'm definitely more of like the situation, whatever the situation is, that's what determines what yes. I say. Yes. That for me, right. it's situational, right? Total you see the situational. Humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah Maybe yeah. that's why I love, I love Seinfeld so yeah, much. That's yeah, a- because it's just <laughs> every, yeah, I'm just. That I, I, if you want an episode of the show, I could just give you. What's I, your favorite 21. Seinfeld episode? Oh, I don't have one. They're so good. <laughs> so They're many. all so good. They're all so good. They're all so good. I, I mean, the one that comes to my mind is Master of uh, oh, Your Master Domain. Oh, Master Queen of the Castle. The, I mean, just. Oh, come I mean, on. Can't when get Kramer better. comes, he's like, boom, I'm out. I mean, I it was like two seconds. It was two seconds. <laughs> and when Elaine does, Jerry, Jerry's like, I thought you'd at least cruise through, <laughs> like cruise through like summer. I don't even know what it was. But it was, oh, or maybe George said it. Yeah, every everything. I just love that show. It's just brilliant. So for all those young artists out there listening, what sage advice do you have for them? It doesn't have to be sage. What advice do you have for them? Those young artists? I would just say love the process because that's what's going to get you through it. The more you love the process, the more disciplined you are, the more you're okay with not having that piece sell or maybe not getting that grant or not getting that exhibit. Of course you want them and it doesn't mean it's not upsetting, but if you are really obsessed and passionate and love that process, then it will always be worth it. Every day you do it, it will be worth it. And sometimes I think that's hard to recognize. I think that's sage advice. I mean, that is sage advice. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the compensation, the reward has to be in the doing. Absolutely. Yeah, completely. And the other thing, I, actually, the other thing I will say about that is don't ever let anyone or even like your own inner voice restrict you to doing one medium. You know, for a really long time, I was told I sucked at sculpture. Don't do it. And so I really just focused on painting. And it didn't take when I went to Germany, you know, one of my closest friends just like, no, do sculpture. Why wouldn't you do it? Your paintings are sculptural. Yeah. And I did it and I loved it. And it's part of my practice. And well, it's I mean, not, you know, sort of taking it back to swimming. You're not just swimming a breaststroke. Yeah. Right? You're, you're learning. I can't even to, do breaststroke, well, so that <laughs> one's out. Well, well <laughs> like, or freestyle or whatever, right? You're practicing, you're exercising different muscles. Absolutely. And that's what you're saying, right? Exercise those different muscles. Yeah. I mean, Louise Bourgeois, she's, you know, one of my absolute favorite artists. She did everything. And it all related to one another, even though it was done in different mediums. And Yeah, I just really recommend never restricting yourself. Yeah, you might try something different and it might not be the best thing when you first do it, but if you love it, you keep trying it and that's what keeps it interesting. And you might find something that you absolutely love that you you never thought you would. In my view, in my experience, you know, artists, visual artists are storytellers. You know, what stories are you trying to tell with your work? I'm trying to tell my internal stories and the external stories that I see with other people that impact me. So I can create a body of work that is incredibly personal about whatever it is I'm experiencing or both good and bad, you know, it doesn't have to always be bad. And I do not see, for me personally, I don't see art as therapy. I know that comes up a lot with artists who do more serious subject matter sometimes, but you mean it's not it's not therapeutic for you, it's the, not. the maker? Okay. No, it's my it's not therapeutic. Yeah, swimming is though. Swimming is your therapy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, got you. Sometimes if I have a really bad workout, not so much. But that's okay. <laughs> but it's telling. It's trying to convey parts of my personality to people without having me to talk about myself verbally. You know, and it, it's interesting for me to see people either accept that part of my personality or not accept that part of my personality, not even taking into the the aesthetics of it. You know, people might go, oh, wow, that's really great, but I don't like the way the colors are. She painted it, you know, whatever the reason. So yeah, it's a way for me to try and relate to people without me having to talk about myself verbally the most normal way. And that's very challenging for me because I'm a very private person. Anybody that knows me will tell you that. And it's just, yeah, how I communicate in that way. And then as the other side of it, the external, talking about what my friends go through or what, you know, my community goes through and what is going on socially and politically that are impacting me or my family or my friends or the world, how is that impacting them? It's kind of a balance. And it's probably why I switch off doing different bodies of work is because depending on what I'm going through or what I'm seeing or experiencing 
internally or externally, I can spend my time working on that and addressing it. Yeah. You said earlier that when it comes to titling or naming your paintings, you go all out, you go all in, you go big or you go home. To explain that, what is your approach to titling and naming your pieces? Some of them have, goes back to some have sense of humor, even if it's a serious subject, Mm kind of to show that contradiction. You know, the other ones, I think it's really interesting for people to see my paintings in person. You have to. People have to. Listen, people, you have to come to the studio and look at these paintings. Yes, come visit me. It's just essential. It's absolutely essential. Anyway, go ahead. Thank you. I think it's really interesting for me to, to see people react to them in person. They don't know the titles. They are interpreting it the way they experience it and they see it. It's why when people ask me, oh, what does this painting mean? I usually say, what do you think it means? Like, what's your experience with it? Because I don't want to, you know, explain it to where I'm telling them what it is. And so they can experience it that way. Yes. Then when they see it with the title, I think it gives it a different context. Because then you're reading something about it. You know, you're taking the visual and then you're taking my written description of it. And even with that, you can still interpret it the way you want. And I love that. A lot of them, some of the titles come from quotes of poems, some from lyrics, some from, I have absolutely no idea what's going on in my brain at that time, but. Has one ever come from a Seinfeld episode? Oh my gosh, maybe that'll be my next body work. That <laughs> would be great. I could, do, I could do 12 <laughs> paintings that somehow relate to Seinfeld. That would be, that would be incredible. That is probably we something look, I would do. We look forward to that body of work. I know. That would be entertaining. I'm going to keep that in mind. <laughs> I will it. give you credit for that. <laughs> I don't need any credit whatsoever. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> well, people will hear this and they'll know. Yeah, that's true. They'll be like, oh. <laughs> Kylie Ames, thank you for sitting down. Thank you so and much. Chatting it up, chopping it up, solving the world's problems with me today. Absolutely. I love it anytime. It was great to talk to you. Well, you'll come back, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. Good deal. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.